Pardon? Oh, got a mic as well. Okay, very good. Okay, so belt and braces. Okay, that's that's good. Um, well, we've been looking for about the fast past four or five weeks at um, these final um, this kind of fi- the, the, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. On the on Palm Sunday and his final words um, to the people as they're listening to him in the temple preach, they're listening to him teaching in the temple, but also present are the Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, uh, but they're not there to listen to him. They are there to discredit him, and they've tried as we, we've been seeing. There are several ways in which they can discredit Jesus. Um, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? There was this woman who had seven husbands and they all died and she had no children. Uh, in, in the resurrection, if there is a resurrection, um, who's, who's, uh, uh, whose wife is she going to be? Um, so they're trying to discredit him. And Jesus, in, at the end of uh, chapter 22, has asked them a question. It's a very, very simple question. They all knew the answer to it. It was a no-brainer. What about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they say, he's David's son. Really? And Matthew has been telling us that all the way way through his gospel from verse 1, that Jesus is the son of David. So he's the son of David. How is it that David calls him Lord if he's his son? How can he be his son if he's his Lord? And, uh, of course, everybody in the temple courtyards is hearing this. And so finally, as Jesus has discredited them as for being teachers, true teachers, although what they tell people about, about the way that they live, about the way that they're supposed to live, Jesus doesn't oppose that. But nevertheless, um, he is now going to turn his guns on the Pharisees. First of all, he says to the people, remember the Pharisees are still there, they're still listening, they haven't disappeared. So he's going to tell the people about the Pharisees, what they're really like, and then he is going to condemn the Pharisees. And what we're going to see in that, uh, in those, those seven condemnations, those seven woes, um, in Hebrew, woe is oi, you know, oi, oi, oi. And, and that's what's happening. That's what Jesus, oi. You know, you Pharisees, you do this, you do this, you do this. Oi. Um, that, that, that's, that's what's happening. This is a very Jewish uh, discussion. Jesus is acting like the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures. He's acting like Jeremiah. In fact, when Jesus asks in Matthew 16, who do, the, who do people say that I am? Some of them say, some say you're Jeremiah, or some say you're uh, Elijah. I mean, Elijah was a real firebrand. Uh, some people think you're that. So, so get rid of the idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild here. It's Jesus is anything but gentle in the way he deals uh, with the Pharisees. And this, they, they, he, they have had... Three years of opposing him, 
the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, have responded to Jesus. And these people have not. And so it's now make your mind up time for these people. And, uh, and Jesus is going to tell them some, some home truths. He's come into the world to save his people from their sins. This is the last time Jerusalem is going to see him. He's coming as everything that Israel was ever meant to be. Pharisees had been ev- uh, were everything that, G- that Israel was not meant to be. Um, and he is coming at Passover time to be everything that the Passover represented. He is coming to save his people from their sins. He is coming to redeem his people from their sins. And he is coming to do it as the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His blood is going to be shed in order that his people might be freed from their sins. He is coming to Jerusalem, God's vineyard. And as we were saying just uh, four weeks or so ago, that the, 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 the thing that divides people in this world is not whether they're black or white. It's not whether they're smart or whether they're foolish. It's not whether they're male or female. What divides people in this world is whether they are builders In other words, they're making their own way. They're making their own kingdom. They're building their own kingdom. Or they're believers. They believe Jesus. They believe what Jesus teaches. They believe what Jesus preaches. You remember how we saw that Jesus has been constantly referring to Psalm 118. um, That he comes, uh, that, that he is the stone, the eben, stone that the the, uh, builders rejected. But God has made him the chief cornerstone. He is the ebon. Remember we said that ebon means not only stone, depending on how you read it, it can also mean the sun. And here is the sun. And the builders are rejecting the sun. Uh, So now it's time for some home truths for the believers. There's an angry showdown here. It's like almost in, you know, one of those spaghetti westerns. You know, if you remember them, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood comes into town and there's a a few minor skirmishes and then, you know, you get that sort of Sergio Leone um, music as as, as Clint takes on all the baddies together and destroys them. Um, He has come to Jerusalem for his departure, for his exodus. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter 9, verse 31, remember how Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah appear, and they're talking to him. What are they talking about? They're talking about his departure, which he is about to fulfill at Jerusalem. Here's something very interesting. The second book of the Bible that we call Exodus is taken from the Greek Old Testament. And it in in Um, the uh, Greek Old Testament Exodus is Exodus but in the Hebrew uh, version of the Old Testament it's um, the word that is used um, the the name for it it is uh, um, Shemot uh, names so Jesus has come the word that's used when when Moses 
who wrote the book of Exodus is speaking to him. And when Elijah is speaking to him, speak about his exodus. He is going to bring about another Passover. He is going to bring about an even greater Passover in which Israel will be delivered not only, well, they'll be delivered from an even greater taskmaster than Pharaoh ever was. They're going to be delivered from their sins. They're going to be delivered um, from, uh, from Satan. And here are the Pharisees, the separate ones, the ones who are different to everybody else because they're holier than everybody else. They're trying to discredit him because people are not listening to them, they're listening to Jesus instead. And so um, they're trying to discredit him. But Jesus, as he, as, he, as, he begin, as he discredits them, as he's just done that by asking them a simple question, who is, uh, uh, who is the Messiah, whose son is he? He says to the people, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Keith, can you show us Moses' seat? Um, I'm going to show you what Moses... There we are. Um, that's it. Um, if, you go to, if you ever go to Israel and you go to Korazin in the Galilee, one of the towns that Jesus condemned, you will find Moses' uh, um, seat. Uh, the, the real one that was, was found is in the Israel Museum. Remember when, uh, once I was on a, a flight to uh, Israel. And before we took off, I was sitting in, my, in the seat that was booked for me. And then this um, uh, two elderly um, Jewish men come along. And um, the steward says to me, excuse me, sir, can you move? Because you're in the wrong seat. I said, no, no, I'm not in the wrong seat. They said, you are. So I looked. And sure enough, I was on the, on the wrong seat. So I said, I apologized to, to this man. I said, um, sorry, sir, what, what's your name, by the way? He said, Moses. I said, oh, I'm sitting in Moses' seat. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that he really got it. But, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm really glad I was able to say that. You know, I was sitting in Moses' seat. Um, but Jesus says they sit in Moses' seat, they, they, they sit in that seat to teach you. So when the Pharisees, when a Pharisee instructed and taught the people on the Sabbath, he would sit there and the people would listen to him. And that was authoritative, to sit in that seat. You listen to him because he was telling the truth. And Jesus said, there's nothing wrong with what they tell you. Or most of what they tell you is not wrong. Even though they go to extremes, if they do, you know, like, the, the, the tassels uh, and, uh, and so on. It, obey them, but just don't do what they do. Don't, don't, they, 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 uh, they, they speak, uh, but, but they don't do. And uh, I can remember some years ago talking to um, uh, an Orthodox Jewish man, and he says to me, you know, you Christians don't keep God's law. And I said, neither do you. And he said, hey, hey, hang on a second. We're not talking about me. We're talking about you. <laughs> and uh, I said to him on one occasion, I said, look, because he was saying, you know, I, I try to keep the 613 commandments. What about the Ten Commandments, Eliyahu? Do you keep the Ten Commandments? And he said to me, this, this was in a letter. He wrote back to me. He said, I'm 99.99999% sure that I keep all the Ten Commandments. 
The only problem was that when he wrote back to me, he wrote on, he wrote on, the, on the envelope, not known at this address, return to sender. And I said to him, when I wrote back to him, I said, Eliyahu, I'm 200% sure you don't keep the Ten Commandments and the post office would agree with me. Because he'd not used it, he'd, he'd simply just returned the envelope. Uh, so he had to, and, it's, and he thought it wasn't important because it's only a post, it's only a, um, a, a, a stamp. It's just a few pence. But the thing is, he'd broken God's law. The, 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 and the, the Jewish people, and still, they still do have what's called the oral law. It's called in, in the Gospels the tradition of the elders. And the oral law was this. He said, well, when Moses, Moses was given the written law, but why was he so long on, on the mountain? It doesn't take you six weeks to write down the, the, the commandments. So God must have been instructing him what the commandments meant. And so it, they, they added to God's laws, they added to God's commandments in order uh, to strengthen the, the fencing the laws we said about the uh, about the um, uh, the the, the uh, tefillin and so on, um, and a good way of understanding the way that the oral law worked was like this. Um, there's a commandment in the book of Exodus and in Leviticus as well that you are not to you are not to seethe, you are not to boil a young goat in its mother's milk. It's a pretty simple prohibition, isn't it? But the, the Pharisees said, well, how are we going to stop, how are we going to really strengthen that law so that our people will never eat, uh, eat a kid, never boil a kid in its mother's milk? Let's put, uh, add a prohibition that you must not um, boil any meal, m- meat in any milk. A few decades down the line, they go, how are we going to stop our people doing that? Well, let's, let's have another, another prohibition, and you mustn't boil any meat in any milk. Okay, that should, should do it. So, a few decades later, they say, but what about if our people do that? How are we going to stop them doing that? So, let's, and it goes on so that in the end they say, we will not allow our people to have any, any meat in any dairy product. And what we will do, we will even prevent them washing the same dishes, meat dishes and dairy dishes, uh, when they wash up. So, if you go to the, the homes of really orthodox Jews, you'll find two sinks. One says meat, the other says milk. And you must not even um, uh, wash meat dishes in the milk dishes or meat dishes in the milk dishes. And, that's, uh, and a rabbi told a friend of mine, he said, you see, what, what we do is we, we build up so many laws of our own that our people will never get through to God's law to break them. That's the kind of thinking. It was the, it was the thinking then, it's the thinking now. But Jesus says that what the Pharisees do is they lay heavy burdens on men. They lay heavy burdens and they don't lift a finger to help them. And you remember Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, 
you who are uh, laden down uh, with, with heavy burdens, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you shall find rest for your soul. The problem with the Pharisees is that they majored on the minors. It was right to tithe. They should tithe. But the Pharisees, in order to show, show how spiritual they were, instead of just simply tithing their, 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 um, their money, Sunday lunch, so to speak, if Jewish people have a Sunday lunch, special Sunday lunches, um, You've got lamb, and you want to, uh, uh, and so you go into the garden to get some uh, to get some mint to make mint sauce to go with it, and you take uh, ten leaves of of of, uh, of mint, and you say one of those goes to God. I'll make do with with the five, uh, and people looked at that and thought, "Wow, these people are incredibly spiritual." But in fact, Jesus says, you've, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. You, you've neglected justice. You've make, like, neglected um, uh, uh, mercy. You, you've neglected the, the things that really matter. Not only that, but they didn't really practice what they preached. They did certain things outwardly, but there were other things that they left undone. And Jesus says, you're blind. Um, you know what's wrong with everybody else. But you don't know what's wrong with yourself because you're so busy with all these minor things. And what's very interesting is that this, what Jesus says in, the, in this chapter, if you compare it with the Sermon on the Mount, it, start, can, it stands in complete contrast to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are they, the judgment on the Temple Mount is woe to you. Jesus is speaking to, to, to the Pharisees. So Jesus says to, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the, scribe and the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. How on earth do you become more spiritual than the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, says Jesus, they sit in Moses' seat. Be careful to do everything they tell you. Um, but don't do what they do. Uh, The first thing Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says to the Pharisees, you shut the kingdom of heaven to others and you don't enter yourself. You don't let others get into it, you're not in it yourself. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The Pharisees loved the place of honour. At banquets, the most important seats in the synagogue. They loved to be called rabbi. Um, There's no poverty of spirit there or meekness there. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus says you you tithe your your mint, your dill, your cumin, but neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice. And faithfulness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. On the outside, the Pharisees look righteous, but inside they're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And they're hearing Jesus say this to them. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. They will become the sons of God. You travel land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've done that, you make them twice a son of hell as you are yourself. There's no kingdom. They're not sons of God, whatever else they might be. Um, Blessed are you when men persecute you because of righteousness. Uh, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets. And Jesus finishes off by saying to the Pharisees, uh, you say, oh, if we had lived in, 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 in past days, uh, we wouldn't have persecuted the prophets like our fathers did. We wouldn't have put the prophets to death because, like our fathers did. And Jesus says, you called them your fathers. You're calling yourself the sons. Remember, in, in biblical terms, in Hebrew, to be a son is not just to be physically descended from somebody, but it means, you know, very much that, that that's the kind of character you are. Um, you were, you say, you'd say that you were the sons of the prophets. Go ahead then. Do what your fathers did. Fill up the measure of the sins of your fathers. I'm, I am sending you... Prophets, wise men, teachers, some of them you will crucify. Some of them you will flog in synagogues. Others you will, you will chase from town to town. And that's going to begin within a matter of days. Because they're going to flog Jesus. They're going to crucify Jesus. And Jesus says to us, of course, that you know, a servant isn't better than his master. So if, if they persecute you, know that they persecuted me, first of all. Jesus, uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, don't swear an oath. All you need to say is yes or no. Anything more comes from the evil one. But the Pharisees have this elaborate system of what you can swear by, what you can't swear by. A lot of it is swearing by heaven. See, we, 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 today, you know, we talk about swear words and so on. And uh, hell is a swear word. Jesus never says, don't swear by hell. He says, don't swear by heaven. Um, and, and notice what happens. You know, you, you, you swear, if you swear by heaven, you swear in by God. If you swear by the temple, you swear in by God. And why, why, why are they not swearing by God? Because you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So if we say heaven, if we say the temple, if we say the gold in the temple, we're not actually swearing by God. Jesus, yes you are. Of course you are. If you swear by, if you swear by the temple, it's God's, it's God's house. So if you swear by the house, you're swearing by God. If you, swear, if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by God. If you swear by God's throne, you're swearing by God. You're all guilty of taking God's name in vain. I mean, imagine trying to argue with Jesus. Imagine, imagine trying to have a, a, a debate with Jesus. He's, he, you're not going to stand a chance, are you? So what we have in all of this, we have some good news. As it, as it concludes, we have good news and we have bad news. What do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? Well, they're going to hear the bad news, all right? 
I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. So on you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the son of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, whom you murdered. Now, of course, they didn't. But remember that they are the sons of those who did. They share in the guilt of it. Because they call these people their, their, their fathers. I tell you the truth. All this. All the judgments. That is going to come on those from Abel to uh, uh, Zechariah and Barakia. Will come upon this generation. And we were looking the other week weren't we. About what Jesus says about this generation. And then begins this. This heartfelt, there's, there's no anger now in Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I would have gathered you. I would have gathered your children as hen, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. And he's thinking back to the Babylonian exile when... Jerusalem was, was, was destroyed then. It's going to happen again. And those wings, Jesus' wings, are God's wings. Remember when Ruth comes, um, be, be, says to Naomi, your God shall be my God, your people shall be my people. Where you live, I will live. And um, Boaz says, you have taken, uh, you've come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Here's this Moabite, and it says of the Moabites that they will not stand in the congregation of God until the, third, the tenth generation. And here is Ruth, this Moabite woman, who is coming to, to, to take refuge under the uh, wings of the God of Israel. And that's the thing, you find this in the Old Testament, where it ever speaks of God's wings. People come and take refuge under his wings. There's a story about... I don't know whether it's a true story, but apparently it is. That there was one of these um, plane fires in America. And uh, a number of ranches were, were burned up. And uh, rancher went to look at his ranch afterwards. Everything was burned up. And saw this, this black charred um, remains of something. And as he approached, it started to move. And suddenly out of it came all these little chicks. And it was mum. And she'd gathered the chicks together. And she had been burned and the, the, the children survived. And that's exactly what is going to happen with Jesus. Jerusalem is going to be burned with fire in a generation. And he's taking it before and he's taking it for them. You know, you could escape that if you would take refuge in me. And of course, it, it, it's not just to the people uh, of Israel, it's but to you and me. When we face the anger and wrath of God, where are we going to hide? Who's going to help us? Where are we going to find refuge? In Jesus. Psalm six, uh, 36 verse 7, How precious, O Lord, is your unfailing love. We find shelter in the shadow of your wings. The children of, uh, uh, of the children of mankind find refuge in the shadow of your wings. 
your unfailing love, the Hebrew word there is chesed. In Greek it's elios, kyrie eleison, elios. And throughout Matthew's gospel, as the people call on Jesus to show mercy on them, they use the word elios, which is the equivalent of, of chesed in the Hebrew. And here is Jesus full of chesed, full of love, full of grace, full of mercy. And he said, come and hide in me, hide in me. He's the son of David. They say, son of David, show chesed to us. Son of David, show elios to us. And here he is, the son of David, saying, come on, find refuge in me. Be merciful to me, O God, Psalm 57 verse 1 says. In you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I take refuge. Psalm 61 verse 4. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his pinions under his wings. You will find refuge. There's no refuge in religion. There's no refuge in self-righteousness. There's no refuge in anything and anyone except Jesus. But after saying that, Jesus has to say to him, look, 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 your house is left desolate. The temple is going to be desolated. The abomination of desolation is going to come that will destroy the temple. There'll be no refuge when there's not one stone of the temple left on another. But there's the good news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. And it's like the Old Testament prophets. You you always find this. Um, When you read the Old Testament prophets, like Jeremiah, he will tell the people terrible things. Things that that ought to make their blood curdle. But then at the end of it, there's always hope. There's always hope. Um... Repent and, and it will be alright. Jerusalem, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's giving them hope now. And we're back to Psalm, eight, we're back to Psalm 118. Because that's what we, they were singing on Palm Sunday. And they've sung it once, and Jesus says, you'll sing it again, you'll sing it again, you will sing it, and you will welcome me. The the, uh, stone, the son that the builders rejected has become the uh, the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice uh, and be glad in it. O Lord, save, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And... This is a a hope that's laid out in in the whole of the Bible. Think of Psalm 67. God be merciful to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. A prayer that Israel will be blessed in order that the nations might know God's salvation. Let the nations... Sing for joy, let the nations praise you. We've been doing that this morning. We've been worshipping, we've been praising the God of Israel. That psalm has been filled in, uh, fulfilled in us. And it ends up by saying, then, 
God will bless us. God will bless us, the Jewish people, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. uh, Romans 11 verses 25 to 27. Israel has experienced a hardening in parts until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this is my covenant when I take away their sins. So what do we learn from that? I'm not going to give you a quiz this morning. But what do we learn from that? Okay, it's all been about Jerusalem. It's all been about the Pharisees. We learn a lesson from them. First of all, the Sadducees were self-righteous. They talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. They didn't examine themselves. Self-examination is really important for us as Christians. From time to time to sit down and take stock of ourselves. Where we are in our relationship with the Lord. The Pharisees never did that. And one of the last words Jesus says to them is, How can you escape in the way you are, in your refusal... To accept me in your refusal, to, your refusal to, to, to hide under my wings and take refuge under my wings. How can you escape the, the wrath of hell? Being condemned to hell, how can you? The problem is, you see, we can look at the Pharisees and forget that self-righteousness is our default position. There's not a person who has ever lived in this world, whether they're religious or whether they're not, that has not relied upon self-righteousness. The thing, the reason we become Christians is we we recognise that we are self-righteous, and our righteousness is not. It, 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 we end up being condemned to hell. We have to depend on the righteousness of another, the perfect righteousness of Jesus. There's a story. I'm almost finished. Let me tell you a story. Um, In the 18th century, um, in the village of um, uh, uh, um, Western Flavour, Western Fable. I was just going to ask you, Jenny, who Western Fable near Northampton. There, there was a minister, Church of England minister, called um, James, Her- James Harvey. He was a minister, but he wasn't a Christian. He hadn't been converted. And nearby, there was a ploughman, a farmer, he was a ploughman, and he didn't go to James Harvey's church. Instead, every week he would go, he would go something like, walked 10 miles to Northampton to hear Philip Doddridge preach. Philip Doddridge was an evangelical minister, um, wrote some of the hymns uh, in our hymn books. And um, James Harvey was not well. And his doctor said, you need to do something for the sake of your health. And what I would advise you to do, remember we're talking about the 18th century here. He said, um, what you should do, if there's a ploughman nearby, what you should do when he's ploughing his fields, uh, walk behind him so that you can smell that health-giving air that comes from you know, the, 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 the smell of the plough. So he did what the doctor said. And, and he knew that this particular ploughman 
didn't come to his church, he went to hear Philip Doddridge. And he thought, I can't just walk behind the guy, I ought to say something. Um, so, so I, you know, I'm Minister Sawyer to talk about religion. So they're walking along, and one day he says, he says, um, he says uh, tell me, my man, um, what is the hardest thing you find in religion? So the man says, well, begging your pardon, sir, you be the minister, and uh, I be just, uh, you know, a, a, a humble plowman. Um, you tell me, first of all, what do you think? So he says... Well, I would say that the hardest thing in religion is, deny, is denying sinful self. And the plowman says, well, sir, begging your pardon, but um, I, I, I don't find denying sinful self um, hard at all. I know I'm sinful. Um, and um, that's not a problem to me, denying sinful self. What, what I find really difficult is denying righteous self. And James Harvey said he thought that man was the biggest fool that he had ever met. Denying righteous self. What is he talking about? He's just a plowman for goodness sake. Dying righteous self. But eventually he realized what the plowman was saying. Because we all think that we're righteous. It's our default setting. What we have to do is to deny self. Righteous self. And depend on a righteousness that is better than our own. A perfect righteousness that belongs to Jesus himself. So, okay. In 30 seconds, how do we sum up? Don't focus on the fault of others. Focus on your own faults. Don't major on minors, the little bits. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't be self-righteous, but trust in the righteousness of Jesus. Because although he says his burden is easy, the burden that he bore to the cross was the heaviest burden of all. It was the heaviest yoke of all. Because he bore the guilt of our righteous self as well as our sinful self. And therefore, and we all need to remind ourselves of this from time to time, if we've, if we've nev- even if we've never thought of it before, is that we must always return to the refuge of the wings of Jesus and take on ourselves his easy yoke that he bore for us. Let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, whose righteousness is all we need. Father, this morning we deny righteous self. We say goodbye to righteous self. We have no righteousness that we can recommend to you. We are as helpless and as weak as chicks caught in a prairie fire. But, oh Lord, we say this morning, we trust in the, in the sheltering wings of our wonderful Saviour, 
who bore the wrath of God so that we might escape it. Blessed be your name, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you. And we pray, help us. Help us, we pray, not to be Christian Pharisees. But help us to be believers in the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray, not to be builders, but help us to be believers in the Lord Jesus. That we might be, just as he is all that we need him to be, may we be all that he calls us to be. For the glory of your great name, and no glory for us. Amen.